0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Sam Myers, an investment director, normally based in Tilney's Liverpool office. And I'm talking with Ben Seeger Scott, our head of multi asset funds. In today's podcast, we'll be having a look back at how markets have performed over the last few weeks before moving on to discuss Brexit, developments in the US since the election last month. And then we'll wrap up with a look at the progress that's been made with vaccines and what that might mean for markets. We're recording this podcast from our homes today on Monday the 7th of December. Before we begin, here's some important information.
1: Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice.
0: Hi Ben. Uh, It's been... A vintage month for global equity markets across the board, uh, driven mainly by vaccine development. There's even been a rare month of outperformance for UK equities and an increased risk appetite in bond markets. Can you summarise what's been happening for our listeners since the last podcast?
1: Yes, uh, absolutely, Sam. And it's really been a continuation of what we saw at the start of November. So, of course, we we recorded our last podcast just the day or so after the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine got its approval. Since then, as you say, we've had uh, a couple more, and we've seen markets really just continue to, to fly in terms of risk assets since then. Going all the way back to the 1st of November to, till now, then we've seen you know UK equities are up 17%, Europe, uh, US, and emerging markets up around 12%. Around half of that was at the very start of November, just before our last podcast, and the rest has really been, since then so very clearly a risk on theme and perhaps as you'd expect as risk assets are doing particularly well it's some of the traditional safe haven assets that have suffered so core sovereign bond yields are a little bit softer i means you u.s treasuries and uk guilt's a little bit weaker gold is off as well although it has bounced recently if you look just for november gold was off around about 6% overall. Since then, it's moderated that fall to to be down 3%. And I think that's largely as we'd expect. And if you look in the detail, it's not just a risk on rally, but it's been some of those more cyclical names. Those those, those parts of the market, that are a little bit more tied in with global economic activity that have been outperforming. And I think that's what you'd expect on the back of positive vaccine news.
0: Yeah, it's certainly been welcome after what's been quite a difficult year. Um, and I think in the UK, as well as the vaccine developments, um, markets here were also buoyed by perhaps the perception that the risk of a no-deal Brexit was receding. Um, I mentioned at the start of this podcast that we are recording this on Monday, the 7th of December, and I feel it's worth reiterating this as we move on to this topic, Um Talks have been ongoing over the weekend between the UK and the EU, and there's a chance that they'll have concluded by the time this podcast is actually released. So rather than focusing on, I guess, the nature of the talks and the tittle-tattle, uh, it's probably more appropriate to look at what the implications of a model through deal or a no deal are for markets. A lot of the coverage at the moment seems to say that talks are at crunch time or on a knife edge and no deals very much still in play, less than a month out from the deadline. Uh, at the start of this process, this was considered by many to be the worst possible outcome. Do you think that this remains the case, and and what do you think the impact will be on markets were this to happen?
1: I I think it is very. It, it's entirely worth discussing this in a little bit detail. As you say, what once once this podcast gone out, it's entirely possible that ele, elements have resolved one way or the other, and it's impossible to call these things in, adv- in advance, even with all the posturing going on. But as you highlight, it, it's important con- to consider the potential for, for a no deal. And we wrote an article on this recently, again, one that doesn't age particularly well, perhaps, but it's uh, it's out there for people to take a look at. And I think whilst most people's base cases is still for some sort of muddle through uh, deal based on all of the prevailing politics, that, the need to get something done, particularly these difficult times, um, I think it is worth just pondering the potential, the very real possibility of a a no deal Brexit coming large as as a result of uh, political factors, uh, if nothing else. But I think there's been a few factors now that have taken the sting out of the tail of a possible no deal to some extent, um, both in some ways related to to COVID-19, but obviously the scale of the impact of COVID has, has dwarfed any potential short-term impact in terms of uh, of a no-deal Brexit. In Q2, the UK economy shrank almost 20%, 19.8% drop in uh, Q2 GDP. Conversely, if you look at the, the forecast from the Office for Budget Responsibility, they suggest a no-deal uh, Brexit would cut 2021 GDP from 55 to 3.5%. Um, so, I think compared to the scale of what we have had that sort of short term impact is is largely negligible and one of the challenges that we'll have is there's going to be no counterfactual regardless of what happens regardless of what what deal is done it's not as if we'll be able to compare in 5 or 10 years time what would it would we have done if it was a different deal or indeed if we we'd never have, have had the brexit refer- referendum there won't be that that counterfactual um, so on the one hand i think that 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 uh, comparison effect is going to be very powerful to, to a large extent, probably towards some of the, the short-term impacts. The other aspect I think that's worth highlighting is the huge amount of monetary and fiscal policy stimulus we, we've had pumped in. In the UK, almost 30% of GDP has been pumped in through, through monetary policy, fiscal policy. It's, it's clearly helped boost markets, and that's what we've seen recently. And I think that the scale of of Input that that the government would have had to deploy uh, in the event of a no deal Brexit previously would have raised my eyebrows, caused some concern. But now, you know, it's going to be very difficult to to pick that out from the larger stimulus just to get the global economy kick started. So I think the risk that you'd have to deploy these extraordinary measures, which could have been taken quite badly in the context of the UK doing it on its own because of of a no deal Brexit, I don't think is now an issue because. uh, of the broader scale so monetary and fiscal stimulus could help power the, these elements through and in terms of the market reaction i think it is worth highlighting a lot of bad news is already in the price uk assets in particular equities and uh, the currency ha- have really underperformed since the referendum in 2016 by some measures compared to global equities uk equities are 30% cheaper Uh, compared to where they were in 2016. Again, that's relative to global equities. That's not just talking in terms of its own history because of recent effects. So there's a lot of negative uh, news already in. As I said, I I think from, from where we stand now because of the stimulus in play, because of this background effect, no deal is perhaps not as terrible an outcome for markets as it once was. Now, that is not to say that markets won't react sharply. And we've seen throughout this year, we've had a number of sort of key key event days. Bad virus news versus vaccine news. Markets in the very short term tend to react unpredictably. Sometimes you get a spike that very rapidly dissipates in the following days. Sometimes you see a collapse followed by a bounce. So you know, if this happens to go out uh, and listeners happen to hear this on a day of big news announcement, and sterling has has fallen, you know, five percent or ten percent. I don't want people saying because Scott doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course, you get these short-term elements of volatility, but I think on any sort of normalized investable timescale, a lot is now in the price, uh, and I think you just need to look through it at this stage.
0: Okay, thanks, Ben. So it's very much a case of um, we're coming from a low base, so therefore the you know the potential negative impact won't be as severe. And I guess even for Sterling, I, I think, the chatter is really that the range of possibilities has, has narrowed quite a lot hasn't it in terms of the potential movement um, it seems to be finding yeah. some sort of level
1: it, it it has and i think you know we're, we're talking a lot on, on the on the downside because obviously there's been a lot of focus on the potential upside it is worth highlighting the upside potential is also quite muted what we're posting here is a no deal brexit versus a muddle through deal you know it's it, it's only a few or a couple of dozen working days or a dozen working days uh, until the deadline passes. We're well beyond the point where you get a comprehensive trade deal that markets might take as a positive. So I think even if there is a resolution, a muddle through perhaps just on 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 parts of, uh, of goods and uh, maybe the lightest of elements on services, I, I don't think that's going to provide quite as much positivity uh, as a more comprehensive deal may have done earlier in the year.
0: Although I guess from there on then trade trading terms can only improve, can't they? So, it's, uh, you know, we could look at that as a uh, as a potential positive. Um, but I guess to move on to the to the US, which was one of the other topics we wanted to cover. Um, when you recorded your last podcast, we were still witnessing the predicted blue shift as as postal votes and, and absentee ballots were counted and Biden's lead gradually increased. Um, The transition is finally underway from uh, Trump to to Biden and a lot of the legal challenges have have proven to be as baseless as people assume they were going to be. Um, There's been progress on the stimulus package, which looks to be coming out around about the 1 trillion level that you talked about last time, Uh, but COVID's still not under control. Can you talk us through the latest developments in a bit more detail?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and there's, to be honest, not a huge amount more to add compared to what we we said last time, with the exception that last time there was uh, it was largely speculation based on what we're hearing. Now we've started to see more of those details come through. One of the key elements has been, as you highlighted, the agreement of the Trump administration to facilitate the transition to the Biden administration. Uh, And I think one of the the most exciting developments we've seen as part of that is the the previous Fed chair, Janet Yellen, is being nominated as Treasury Secretary. That's clearly a positive, having a a Treasury Secretary that that knows um, intimately how how the Fed works. And Boyle Count has a good working relationship with the existing board. And also, I think, to, to... a greater or lesser extent or a greater extent agrees with this sense that monetary and fiscal policy need to go hand in hand and fiscal stimulus is required so that's certainly one of the the, the more positive elements um i think you highlighted there we did we have now fully seen the blue shift that was only underway uh, in the early stages when we recorded the last podcast, so quite clearly, everyone has has accepted, or most people certainly, that the key institutions that count have accepted that that Joe Biden has won, uh, Donald Trump has lost. So that argument is is now broadly settled. The area that is still ever so slightly up in the air, not the blue shift, but the blue wave, that is the Democrats controlling the House the Senate and the, the White House. That now seems incredibly unlikely. There are still two Senate seats in that have gone to runoffs, so those will be determined at the start of January. If the Democrats win both of those, then they'll win control of the Senate but that outcome is pretty unlikely. So for all intents and purposes, the checks and balances remain firmly in place. The Democrats control the House, but now they're going to have to strike some sort of deal with the Republicans controlling the Senate to get that stimulus package through. Um, But as you say, there's progress on those talks. It is heading up from the the Republican starting point of about half a trillion. It's heading more towards about one trillion—that's still somewhere below the two trillion that the Democrats want. So, uh, never say never. But I'd be surprised if the current package gains significant traction. What it is, though, I think, is a key signalling mechanism that now the dust is settling, so that the Republicans are are willing to move. And that 2.2 trillion that was largely touted on the back of the the, the blue wave—I think the Democrats will also start bringing that number down as well there's probably going to be a little bit more waiting to see just how these what what the outlook is for these two senate seats so i wouldn't expect anything too imminently but as you say it looks like it's going to be between one and two trillion so starting with a one um followed by a a eye-watering 12 zeros but that's likely to be the the um the, the magnitude that we see and as that comes through i think that will help reassure markets as we said i think last podcast or possibly the one before one trillion is is the the ballpark figure that the fed has been putting into its own models so it's important that a deal of that magnitude is done if it goes higher that will be good for markets lower that'll be probably bad but importantly it's coming through larger where markets are expecting so so still plenty
0: to watch there yeah well that's uh, that's really interesting and uh, you know it's clearly a potential positive for markets moving uh through next year and, and further out um the other major positive or perceived major positive has been the development of the vaccine uh which has been universally welcomed uh and there's been sorry other developments in vaccines as well after the Pfizer one um and we'll see the first doses administered in the uk tomorrow on a human level it's obviously fantastic that there's a potential end in sight and we might be able to start returning to normal and stop having to keep abreast of all the latest rules. Um, But as we've touched on, the the news has also been welcomed by markets, which are beginning to price in economic normality. My question around this comes in two parts. Um, Firstly, are markets right to be so optimistic given the other issues that, that pervade? And secondly, what, should, what does this mean for our portfolio positioning? Uh,
1: well, certainly vaccines is all most, most participants are talking about, aside from the, the minor sideshow in the UK of, of Brexit. And you're exactly right that the vaccine is fantastic news in terms of global public health. It is also great in the long term for, for, econo- for economic considerations. Ultimately, you need a vaccine as we said before, probably not just a vaccine, but wrapped up with with testing and treatments. But ultimately it's a it's a necessary precondition for economic growth to come back. So from that point of view, it is a market good. In the shorter term, though, there are certainly considerations that need to be borne out. And shorter term could be, you know, 12 months or more. That is a short term in in, in market in the market sense. Um And I think from that, what we have seen recently, certainly it's the beaten up cyclicals, as we mentioned at the top, uh, the likes of financials and energy that are reliant on on economic growth that that have been leading. And the UK is dominant in, in that area, which is why the UK did particularly well in November. But we do need to remember the flip side, and that's the fact that markets have been pricing in quite a lot of good news already, and a lot of that monetary and fiscal stimulus to try and support markets. Has helped, uh, has helped buoy asset prices. That, I mean, that's the main reason. If you look at what markets have done broadly, a lot of them are now back to where they started. Several equity markets are at fresh all-time highs, for example, in the US. Now, some of that comes down to the index composition, tech companies doing well because of the conditions, you know, working from home provisions. But a lot of it has also been because of stimulus. And, and you see that huge rally we saw since market nadir in March, none of that has been driven by economic fundamentals, because economies have basically been suppressed throughout that entire time. A lot of that has been built both on the promise of we will get out of this, which is where we're looking now, and also that monetary and fiscal policy stimulus. And as those stimulus measures start to get withdrawn, I think at some point, the risk is that markets start to focus a little bit more on that, a little bit more about what happens when monetary and fiscal stimulus is is withdrawn? And you could see the negative effect of that, particularly in some parts of the market. In many senses, I think that the rally we've seen so far, particularly from that market in March, is almost a down payment on on the good news that we're seeing. So I wouldn't necessarily say that we're just on a a long, steady stretch from here without impact. It will, I think, pay to be selective. Uh, One of the impacts of Withdrawing monetary and fiscal stimulus at some stage, and the anticipation of that could be a steeper yield curve. Um, that means government, uh, longer-term government bonds yielding more than, than short-term ones. That means a sell-off uh, of, of longer-dated government bonds. And there's all sorts of factors in that. Um, you can see higher inflation expectations. You could see in the market those companies that that have that are more reliant on earnings flow into the future. Um, so using, for example, a dividend discount model that would basically mean the current value is a little bit lower. That could weigh a little bit on some growth stocks. It could also benefit areas such as financials. They do better when you have a steep yield curve, for example, because it means if you're lending long, say on a mortgage, you can charge higher rates than borrowing, than short term borrowers, which is what's in most people's um, current and savings accounts. And a lot of banks. Make their money on that—that that their profit on that difference called the the net interest margin. So you know, I, I think it won't be entirely straightforward. It is not necessarily in the short term a we're off to the races signal. Um, and I think one of the concerns we've highlighted before, even with all this positive news, you know, it's going to take a while to roll out this vaccine. We're now going to have to face the challenges of production and distribution. And in the meantime. We are still likely to go through this period of creative destruction with rising unemployment and business failures. And this is something we've highlighted before, but it's worth highlighting again. For a long time, we said what you might have is this vaccine news. That means that things could be better in 12 or 24 months time. That's not going to stop the likes of, you know, we've had Arcadia, Debenhams um, get into trouble and go into administration. The, the potential of a vaccine economic recovery in 12 or 24 months time is not going to help a lot of those companies in the short term. And the government, all governments, but the UK government in particular, has been very clear they're not here to save every business. That's not something that they are willing or, or able to do. So I, I think it's a necessary precondition. It does lead us into the next business cycle on a sort of 10 year plus sort of time frame but in the short term i don't think it's a universal positive and it still makes sense to be diversified not predicated not having your portfolio predicated entirely on a short term recovery you're still going to want those quality growth companies that can continue to compound up their earnings and that's very much where we're guiding most of our portfolios to to be positioned
0: yeah so it's very much a case of mind your eye and um take a good look at the balance sheet before uh, before jumping in um Okay, well, Ben, that's that's been really valuable. And thanks very much for your insights. Um, That brings us to the end of the final podcast of a tumultuous 2020. But we will be back again in the new year with a new episode. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email to podcast at tilney.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening. And we hope that you and your family have a happy and healthy Christmas and New Year.